Hey there, and welcome to episode 118 of the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, non-diet registered dietitian, and certified intuitive eating counselor behind everything here at Yours Truly Nutrition. And in episode 118 today, we'll be talking a little bit less about food and a little bit more about the intuitive movement or the joyful movement side of things with personal trainer and fitness instructor Tally Rye. You might know her from her book Train Happy. She has an amazing social media feed as well, so I cannot wait to bring you my conversation with her here in just a couple of moments. One disclaimer though, as I am recording the intro for this episode, there is a banging noise (laughs) happening in my condo. I guess someone has chosen uh, 2 p.m. on a Thursday to do their home improvement project. So if you hear a little bit of noise behind me, my apologies, but this is the best time that I have to set aside and do this intro. So we're gonna make do with maybe a, a little bit of beating and banging here and there. But this episode, episode 118 of the podcast is brought to by my online intuitive eating discovery course. So if you've ever wondered how to get started with intuitive eating, what makes it different from dieting, or how to break up with your dieting tools like the scale and food tracking devices so that you can start reconnecting to your body's cues around food and begin challenging that voice of your inner food police, then you might find this course to be the perfect fit. The course itself contains a variety of resources that will help you learn how to take your first steps towards having a confident and free relationship with food. It includes eight guided coaching lessons, each filled with real life tools that you can apply to your life as soon as you listen to each module. There are downloadable PDF worksheets following each coaching guide that contain key takeaways and journal prompts and activities to help you set realistic goals for your and take action on all that you're learning in each coaching lesson. You'll also get lifelong access to our private Facebook community that's just for course participants. So here you can ask questions, you can tune into our weekly live Q&A sessions, and of course you can receive group support from myself and others navigating this journey. In addition to all of that content, there's also a lot of bonus content as well on topics such as mindful eating. There's a full mindful eating guide experience. There is a 45-minute conversation Q&A style about body image between myself and licensed professional counselor Brianna Campos, who you may know as Body Image with Brie. There's the banging, and you'll also get an additional resources guide to help you learn even more about intuitive eating from the many other incredible practitioners and activists out there, and there's more in the bonus content as well, but I'll leave it at there for now. So if you want to learn more about this course and claim your spot today, you can visit clairetuning.com course. Again, clairetuning.com slash course. And if you decide that the course is for you and you're a listener of the podcast, I'm offering you a discount as a thank you for being a loyal listener. So at checkout, you can enter the code podcast for 10% off of your enrollment investment. 
That's clairetuning.com slash course and enter the code podcast at checkout for 10% off of your intuitive eating discovery course. And I hope to see you there very soon. But before we get into today's episode and I share more about our guest, I normally take this time to insert a post from our free private Facebook community. This one is not associated with the course I just mentioned. It's just a free community for anyone who's interested in intuitive eating, who wants to ask questions and receive support from other people who are on their own version of their intuitive eating journey. But instead of sharing a post from a community member today, I thought I would read off actually a post that I shared in the community, but it's not one that I wrote. So this is something that is written and was shared by Evelyn Triboli, which is one of the co- or who rather is one of the co-authors of the book Intuitive Eating. You may have heard of it if you're here on the podcast, but she shared this Intuitive Eater's holiday bill of rights a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And while I know we're a couple of weeks past Thanksgiving, by the time this episode will air, we are still smack dab in the middle of the holiday season, which I know holds a lot of fun and and different food experiences. So I think this can still be relevant as my neighbor hammers into the wall. But there are seven reminders here on the Intuitive Eater's Bill of Rights. Again, this comes from Evelyn Triboli. One, you have the right to savor your meal without cajoling or judgment and without discussion of calories eaten or the amount of exercise needed to burn off said calories. Two, you have the right to enjoy second servings without apology. Three, You have the right to honor your fullness, even if that means saying no thank you to dessert or a second helping of food. Four, it is not your responsibility to make someone else happy by eating past your comfortable fullness level, even if it took them hours to prepare that specialty holiday dish. Five, you have the right to say no thank you without explanation when offered more food. Six, you have the right to stick to your original answer of no, even if you are asked multiple times. Just calmly and politely repeat, no thank you, really. And finally, seven, you have the right to eat pumpkin pie for breakfast, which I have to say is probably my favorite number. Although if I had to choose a pie to eat for breakfast, I think I would probably choose apple for no reason other than I don't really love pumpkin pie. Don't hate me for it. I know some of you guys are going to come for me (laughs) in the DMs, but don't come for me. I just prefer apple pie. My dad always told me growing up that apple pie with a slice of sharp cheddar cheese on top was the way to go. To be honest, I have still yet to try that. (laughs) Dad, if you're listening, I don't know if my dad even knows how to find the podcast button, but dad, if you're listening, maybe I'll have to try that the next time I come to visit. If you've ever tried cheese on your apple pie, let me know. Send me a DM. Don't send me a DM to hate on me for not liking pumpkin. Just send me DMs to talk about cheese on the apple pie. (laughs) But I digress. Just wanted to share that intuitive eaters holiday bill of rights, hoping that someone might find a couple of those reminders helpful as we continue to navigate this holiday season. 
But if you are interested in joining that free private Facebook community, again, not associated with that course that I mentioned, this one is different, and you just want to be in a community of like-minded individuals learning and unlearning as well, asking questions, coming together to support one another, then I would love for you to come and join us in our Yours Truly Goal Slayer Facebook community. The best way for you to do that is through the application on my website. That's clairetuning.com slash community. If you fill out that application, my team and I will look it over and we will be back to you about joining our group and letting you know all that we are and are not about. But without further ado, with my transition music, I, like I said earlier, I'm very excited to announce today's guests or not so much announcer because I guess I kind of did that earlier, but share a little bit more about her with you all before we turn the conversation over to our interview. So Tally Rye is a personal trainer, fitness instructor, content creator, and author based in London. She's been working in the fitness space for over six years now and has had a wide range of experience working on the gym floor, teaching in boutique studios, and being a part of the UK's biggest fitness festivals. She discovered a passion for fitness while training at drama school to work in musical theater. And after graduation, she decided to pursue this passion and change the direction of her career. Since then, she has gone on a personal and professional journey that has led her to her work today as a non-diet, weight-inclusive personal trainer who specializes in intuitive movement to help her clients, classes, and community to train happy. Her goal is to help you ditch diet culture and rediscover a positive relationship with fitness, food, and your body so that movement is no longer a chore that you have to endure, but rather a form of self-care that you can look forward to. You can learn more about Tally by reading her book. The title of that is Train Happy. And you can also listen to her podcast and follow along with her on social media. And at the end of the episode, we will plug all of her handles and the name of her show. And you can also find that information in today's show notes as well. I am so excited to bring you this conversation for a lot of different reasons, but one of them being I I tend to find that since I am a dietitian and I invite a lot of other dietitians and food professionals on the show that a lot of our content here tends to be food heavy and it is an intuitive eating podcast, so I guess that makes sense, but movement and the relationship that we have with movement, you'll, you'll hear Tally and I refer to it a lot more as movement than exercise. I think that word has many fewer negative connotations than the word exercise, but that is also a part of the intuitive eating process, the journey to healing one's relationship with food and their body. So I am really just here today to hype you up and send you into this conversation, hoping that you learn a couple more things about how to improve your relationship with movement and combine that as part of your intuitive eating journey if that is something that you are interested in or would find valuable. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tally Rye. Enjoy. Tally, welcome to the Yours Chuli podcast. How are you? Well, it's morning for me, afternoon for you, but how are you today? 
I'm doing really good actually. I have had a good Thursdays. I teach a spin class and then I have therapy. And so I kind of am in a headspace of like, I'm feeling quite good about the world today. I was feeling anxious <laughs> yesterday and I got my workout in and I got my therapy in and I'm feeling much more settled. So I'm feeling really good. Seems like Thursdays are um, a therapeutic day for you in a couple of different ways. Yeah. I like, I generally call them therapy Thursdays. <laughs> I'm like, it's therapy <laughs> Thursday, it's here. <laughs> the alliteration is there. How could you not? How could you not take part in that? Well, before we dive into some of the questions, talking about what you do, I always have a little game that I play with my guests called This or That. So I have five questions for you. They're very important questions for us to get to know you. So are you ready for this or that? Yes, I'm notoriously, I always feel very indecisive about these games, but let's just, let's just do it. All right, we're going to put you to the test. We'll see how it goes. Uh, first one, okay, when you're taking a trip, so let's just pretend for the sake of this question, we are not living in a COVID world and we can travel like usual. So when you're taking a trip, do you typically prefer to drive or to fly? To fly. You can get there a lot faster. I agree. <laughs> Um, next one, coffee or tea? I would say tea, but I am British. However, I don't drink like English tea. I only drink herbal tea. I don't like tea. I don't like coffee. Uh, it's a controversial stance <laughs> to have in the UK, <laughs> um, but I, I prefer like a mint tea. That's my preferred if I'm going to go for something. You, um, I'm very taken aback by your answer where you say you don't really prefer either. Really, that's very surprising, I feel like. I have definitely let down my parents in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you are a disappointment because you don't like tea or coffee. <laughs> um, next one, when it comes to games, do you prefer a card game or a board game? This is really hard because over lockdown, uh, my my boyfriend and I have done a huge, um, I say a huge tournament. We probably played about 20 times. We played Monopoly <laughs> what, about 20 times. I've won, I think now I've won four times and he's won 16 times. Um, and I kept trying, like, we'll still, we'll probably play again, like in the near future. And then recently my friends introduced me to the game Gin Rummy with cards. And we also became really addicted to that. So I'm going to go Monopoly because it is an ongoing thing in my house. <laughs> so, so now my follow-up question is, when you play Monopoly, how long do your games typically last? Are they like hours long? Does someone lose or win pretty quickly? Because I know Monopoly can be like a really lengthy game. I mean, perfect game for quarantine season. But how long is it taking you when you play these uh, 16 to 20 games? <laughs> Well, with two people, um, it's easy to win. Like, I've played games where I've lost in about half an hour because uh -huh. um, my boyfriend is very good at it. Um, but if you play with people, it's all about my top tip for Monopoly players are it's all about the deals. Cut deals on the side. Um, you've got to force the game forward and put, buy, your, buy your hotels, buy your houses, you know become quite the I do you know it got so desperate when I was losing that I started reading Monopoly blogs and <laughs> that's when you know it's gone too far and, and that's 2020 <laughs> that's how desperate 
angle. Yeah. <laughs> well, little did you know when I invited you to the podcast, what I was really hoping you would offer are your monopoly secrets. Like we're not here to talk about intuitive movement. We're talking monopoly. I um I can't lie, and I, I hope no one knocks me for this, or I hope no one hates me for for saying what I'm about to say. But I really don't like games. I don't like playing games. I don't know what it is. I've never like I will like something like Cards Against Humanity or What Do You Meme? Have you ever played those before? Check check. Got both of those. <laughs> like those games, especially in like a, a fun group setting, I can definitely get on board with. But growing up, I don't know if I just never played them. I grew up in a pretty small family, so I never had siblings to like play board games with, but I don't know. I've reached my adult life and I find that some people, I mean, yourself included, it's like, I play this board game or I have so much fun playing this. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I wish I found those things fun, but I guess I've just, maybe I've never given them the chance. Maybe that's what's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I am a bit like a Monica Geller. I like organized fun in that sense. Like I like the structure of the board game. Um, and yeah, we, I did, we played a fair few board games growing up. So, um, but Monopoly is the common ground with my boyfriend. Like that's the one we both like enjoy playing. We're not, we're besides that we're fairly basic. Like we, we play the basics, but we do enjoy that one. I am. Um, I very much appreciate the friends reference there. <laughs> Calling yourself a Monica, I very much can get on board with that too. Um, so, final two questions here: Do you prefer summer or winter? Oh, I think I'm going to say winter for the fact, obviously, Christmas um, and like the coziness. I just like being cozy, mm-hmm. um, and I'm. I, I really, enjoy, I like summer. I don't have a strong, you know, I'm not strongly for, for winter, but summer in the UK can be very disappointing or we're just, we're just not set up for it. Like we've had, we had crazy heat waves this summer and we just don't have air conditioning. We don't have swimming pools. We don't have all these things like that you need. And it's a fact, we're just not ready for it. But if it's an opportunity to go abroad then I'll take it but in at home in the UK I'm gonna say winter uh, come to the if, if the travel ban is lifted by next summer summer 2021 come to the US we have pools <laughs> we have I pools know. and beaches and all the things oh you've got it all um next one final one here very important sushi or pizza I'm gonna go pizza Mm-hmm. which is interesting for me because I used to not be a big fan of pizza that much, but I have discovered, I think also partly on my intuitive eating journey, I think I've become less afraid of pizza mm. and therefore I can just enjoy it without feeling any feelings of guilt or like, Oh, this is a lot of carbs, you know, just the little voice in your head that tries to spoil your fun. And, um, I've really, I found some really good, uh, pizza places in, lockdown like any any food, anything that was delivering we've tried a few places and we found some really good ones so tally's lockdown in a nutshell monopoly <laughs> games and pizza, pizza. <laughs> and, and teaching spin classes and therapy on thursdays right i i feel like in the first 10 minutes of recording i have much more of a sense of you and what your life at least recently has looked like yeah, my 2020 in a nutshell. Yeah, I love it. Um, doesn't sound too too awful, other than the fact that there's been a global pandemic. But uh, on the inside, there, it, it seems like you're managing and doing your best. I, I can get on board with all of those things for sure. 
Yeah, um, we're, we're extremely lucky in the sense I'm very fortunate to have the privilege to be able to be at home. I'm in a safe place. I, you know, my work hasn't been affected too badly. So I feel um, extreme. I don't have children. I think that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling extremely, you know, fortunate in the, the position I'm in at this point in my life. Um, and I just feel for everyone else who's there's on so many different levels. So many people are going through it. So I just, yeah, I, I recognize that I am very lucky. Yeah. And speaking of too, you mentioned your work there a moment ago and you mentioned being able to do it from home. So I feel like that might be kind of a good transition and a segue for anyone who might be listening, who doesn't know you yet, uh, isn't familiar with your work or what you do. Would you mind just offering a a couple of moments to share what you do, um, kind of the, what you're passionate about, what you stand for on social media, just so we can get even more of a picture of who you are and what you do before I have some other questions for you. So I'm a personal trainer and I have been doing that for over six years now. Um, prior to that, uh, I was at drama school and I wanted to be an actress doing musicals. So I'm a theater kid at heart. Um, and I, through that time, I, I kind of personally discovered fitness and decided that that was my passion and I wanted to pursue that. Um, and I've been working in the industry ever since. I work as a personal trainer, I teach classes and then Throughout this whole thing, I've had an online presence and I've been sharing my own fitness journey for, I think, about eight years. It's coming up, something like that, online. And, uh, you know, and that has evolved into sharing a lot more work professionally. And in recent years, as I discovered the work of intuitive eating, um, I became really passionate about applying that work to intuitive movement and thinking about how the principles of intuitive eating can can also be applied to our relationships with how we move our bodies and and fitness. I became really disillusioned with the fitness industry in the sense that I just felt that um, the the general message was that, you know, exercise was all about um, earning food, burning calories, um, trying to change the way you looked and trying to change the number on the scale. um, And often just from a place of of self-hatred really and from guilt and shame and I just couldn't get on board with that any longer um and so discovering this non-diet approach and discovering the work of intuitive eating has really transformed my relationship with food and exercise and professionally um it's really transformed my message and that has culminated in writing my book train happy which came out in January in the UK and I think I think it was February in the US and then um since then, I have my own podcast as well, of the same name, Train Happy Podcast, um, with the mission to just try to get people to actually feel good about moving their bodies. I, I kind of use a little tagline, like, find the fun in fitness again. It doesn't have to be a chore. It doesn't have to be something you just endure and get through that's painful. Um, it can be enjoyable. And a lot of that comes from the mindset we have around moving our bodies. So that's in a nutshell, what I do. And I feel like, of course, we can't see our listeners here because we're, we're doing a podcast, but I feel like as you're saying these words, I'm willing to bet that a lot of our listeners are nodding their head, probably saying, I've seen those messages around fitness, around moving my body that are really centered in shaming, in changing a body, and almost like 
dreading the practice of moving my body because it's not fun <laughs> because I, I feel the sense of obligation towards it. So you mentioned a, a couple of seconds ago that your kind of intuitive eating journey, your own relationship with movement sparked your interest in what I know you call, I, I've seen it all over your social media and you said it a couple of moments ago, but you said um, intuitive movement, I think is how you phrase it, right? Intuitive movement. So for anyone who is maybe hearing that and they're like, well, the intuitive part sounds familiar because I know intuitive eating and I've heard lots of people talk about that, but the word movement behind that sounds different. Would you mind just describing what intuitive movement is, kind of the benefits that you see to that? And I know that's probably a lengthy and a loaded question, but I'd love for you to just share kind of what that means for you. Well, intuitive movement is very much an extension, I see it, of the intuitive eating framework. So we know the 10 principles of intuitive eating by uh, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli, and we can look at those and apply those to our relationship with food. And I was thinking in my own experience and looking around me at my clients and just conversations I was having online and thinking, a lot of the thoughts we have about food and a lot of these rules that we've created and a lot of our perceptions around the way we move our bodies, um, you know, need to be addressed in great, in greater depth. Like it's just our relationship with exercise is just as significant as our relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are also very closely linked. And so we kind of needed to like, just have a bit more of a conversation around fitness because I, I think there are a lot of ideas um, are deeply entrenched about the way we move our bodies. So intuitive movement, um, in my book, I take the principles of intuitive eating. Um, so there's a principle of intuitive eating joyful movement. So we kind of use that and almost expand on that. So rather than there being 10 principles, we have nine. And we take the same principles and take the same approach that we would with food to fitness and to slightly change the wording a bit just to make it more specific to that. So when we think of obviously um, rejecting the diet mentality with food, we do the same with exercise. We decide to no longer use movement as a tool to lose weight or as a to um, change our aesthetic. And we just decide to hit pause on that and try a new approach. And then we, and then the whole process is about learning to reconnect and build trust with your body because a lot of what we do with movement is what we do with food is we outsource our knowledge we outsource our trust and our guidance to other people and we don't realize that actually the, the person who knows the best for your body is you and it's really about giving the person um, the tools to give them the power back if that makes sense yeah i know that the phrase we kind of think is like you are the expert of your body when it comes to how you need to feed yourself you know once you have the go through the process of intuitive eating and and understand the different you know things like hunger and fullness well we need to think about hunger and fullness in movement as well we need to think about um how long do you like to move for? How much feels good for you? What type of exercise do you enjoy um, in the way that we would about food? So it's really a process of rebuilding a relationship with movement. And I use the word movement, I should say, deliberately. I will interchange between fitness, exercise. To me, it kind of means the same thing, but I also really appreciate that for many people, their relationship with food 
and um, movement, should I say, is obviously strongly linked to dieting and restriction in their life. And so Mm -hmm. exercise might have this connotation of restriction, punishment, pain, endurance, especially if people have been in, uh, have over-exercised previously, have compulsively exercised. So just whilst we're like neutralizing that word, because I do think it can be neutralized and we can just use it, but I think whilst we're in the process of that, I like to use the word movement because I also think it broadens our perspective on what moving your body can be because it is so much more than just going to the gym and doing some sit-ups. There's so many ways to move your body. And I really want people to think outside the very literal box of the gym and think about getting out in nature, trying different classes, whether it's anything from pole fitness to hiking to rock climbing to uh, skiing to rollerblading dance class you know whatever it could be swimming or it totally could be the gym as well but to get people to just expand their horizons I I say in my book expand your workout horizons Mm -hmm. because I think when you for example if when you were in the diet uh, mentality and when you were in that mindset for example a lot of people like run a lot for example and so running could actually be um there could be a level of even a traumatic experience linked to the you know the act of running and so it's about can we find a different type of movement for you to feel connected to your body to feel in your body to know what it feels like to breathe to sweat to feel connected to feel your muscles um but could we do that in a different way that that feels different? So you don't have those past memories and that you can find your joy and fun again. So that's it in a nutshell. But like I said, I could talk about this all day. So ask me questions and I will try and (laughs) I can try and shed more light. (laughs) Well, something that I I really love that you said, and this is um, a wording change that I use with all of my clients as well, is I love using the word movement instead of exercise. Now, very much like you said, I do believe the word exercise can be neutralized and it's not an inherently negative or a quote unquote bad word, but I feel like for so many people, as you were saying, and and even when I think back to my experience with quote unquote exercise, like even still, when I think of that word, what comes to mind for me is a very narrow list of things that kind of fit in that quote unquote box. But when I personally think of the word movement, like so many other visuals come to my mind. I think of being outside. I think of cleaning the house. Like yesterday I was literally vacuuming and I was like, this is a heck of a movement practice, right? I mean, I think of being with friends. I think of, yeah, sure, going to the gym might be part of it, but doing classes. So, you know, I hope maybe a takeaway for anyone listening, maybe first and foremost, just experiment with what it might feel like to switch the word um, exercise for movement and kind of see how that might open up some doors. But something else that you said that um, was kind of making me think about something that I talk a lot with my clients about, you were talking about how movement can really be used as this way to rebuild trust with our bodies, to reconnect to our bodies. And something that I say along the food side of things, because intuitive eating is also a way to rebuild trust and you know get back in touch with our bodies. But I say the thing that disconnects us from our bodies in the first place is, well, 
could be a lot of different things, right? But one thing is dieting, right? Dieting is a breach of trust. It's a breach of, you know, it oftentimes makes us do things against our preferences. It makes us second guess ourselves. So I'm curious when you're talking about fitness and using it as a way to get back in touch with our bodies and start to retrust our bodies, what do you think maybe broke that trust in the first place? Like, for example, is it the fitness industry that says movement has to look this way? Is it the thin ideal? Like, what do you think kind of, and maybe it's a lot of different things, but what do you think is that breach of trust in the first place? Does that make sense at all? Yeah, and it's certainly a combination of things. I don't think we can necessarily pinpoint it to one thing. And I think there are a few barriers to listening to our bodies. I think firstly, the idea that a personal trainer or a fitness instructor knows your body better than you know yourself. So when you're, abs- when you're in a workout class, for example, and you're absolutely exhausted and you've done the, you're doing press-ups and you've, you've completely reached your limit and the instructor, sa- the instructor says, you know, you have to keep going to the very end, say um, you must complete X amount of reps or do this in certain amount of time and you continue to do that that's a breach of trust with yourself mm-hmm. because you're pushing through your body's cues to rest and they're not being your, uh, not honoring that in that moment. That's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think you're right. It totally is about the messaging around what fitness actually is about. And, um, and therefore we are, well, let's go back to the beginning. We're thinking of movement, we're thinking of exercise and the fitness industry is very much hand in hand with diet culture in so many ways, because for a long time now, we have thought that exercise is something people do when they want to lose weight. And it's just a tool to um, manage your weight or to lose weight or to change your aesthetic. And we don't actually often hear about all the other benefits of exercise. Um, And when we do look at the benefits of exercise, there are incredible reasons to regularly move your body that include improving your mood, improving your focus and um, clarity throughout the day, your memory with helping to prevent um, certain types of cancers uh, in bone density. We're we're looking at um, less things like hip fractures, it sounds so unsexy and glamorous, but this is the stuff that actually contributes to your health and well-being. And so an industry doesn't necessarily see there's a lot of money to make from helping you to feel good, but they do uh, see a lot of money to make from saying, look, your body's not good enough. You don't meet the beauty body standard. And if you do my workout plan, if you do my 12-week guide, if you um, buy my protein supplement, um, I can... I have the solution to your problems. And then obviously once you reach, look this certain way, then, you know, all your problems will disappear and that's great. And, um, and the fitness industry has really like jumped on board with that. And so we're looking to exercise as a means for quote results. I don't know if you've heard, I don't know if you've got look online at at fitness content, but everything is always, what's the best workout for results? What's the best Mm -hmm. workout to lose X amount of weight? What's the best workout to change this part of my body, to tone my arms, to, um, you know, to tone my tummy. And so it's really the 
the marketing around fitness has really made us believe that that's all that fitness is about. And so we look to these people and often the people who are put on a pedestal within fitness look a certain way. So look at your biggest fitness brands and look at the people who um, have been at the forefront of those. Look at the cover of your fitness magazine. Generally, we're seeing thin white people um, and therefore we deem that because that person has visible abs, because that person has um, developed glutes, then they must be an expert. And because fitness is meant to be about trying to look like those people, then I should be listening to those people because they've done it. Look at them. I couldn't possibly know how to do that. And then obviously there comes a price with that information that we're trying to acquire. So then we're paying for these bikini body guides. We're paying to do to join the app and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that's where we start to erode the trust with ourselves. Um, and so we get so focused on the external reasons to, to move, the external motivation that we kind of forget like what it's about for us. And then also we kind of forget about how to listen to our bodies because we're doing everything to achieve that dream body that we were promised. And so if we just ignore the cues, you know, just go along with the plan, then we'll, we'll get there, won't we? And we know that some people do get there, but we also know that that place is a very fragile place to get. And once you get there, we can't guarantee what's going to happen next. And we don't know what happens a couple of years down the line. And so then we're like, well, now what? Like, it's my fault that this failed. It's my fault that I can't maintain this. I must not be doing enough cardio. I must be not lifting enough weights. I'm going to do more and more and more. Or I'll look to the next expert to tell me what to do because that that diet plan didn't work or I couldn't keep it up, which is my fault. So I'll go to the next expert. So we just keep constantly looking to the next thing, the next thing for the solution. Um, when, as you and I know, Claire, like the solution is you. The solution is you know what to do when you have the tools, when you, when you can build that connection to yourself. And that connection can can take more time to build with others. And it's very different, it's a very individual process, um, depending on how much it's been broken down over mm -hmm. the years. And another thing I would add in terms of uh, something that has um, stopped us trusting ourselves on a very um, individual level are things like, our tools like our fitness trackers. Um, and I don't think fitness trackers are inherently bad. There is nuance in this conversation. But when we are looking to rebuild the trust with our bodies, when we are looking to reconnect um, with ourselves, I often encourage people to just take a break from the fitness tracker because I don't think that constantly looking to validate any type of movement with numbers, whether that be going on a walk with your friends or whether that be jumping on um, the treadmill and you can have the best workout in the world, but when you look at your watch and you see a number that you're not happy with, it completely ruins it and it completely um, spoils the act of being in your body and moving your body and feeling good and the endorphins and all that stuff. So I do really encourage people to just take a break, even if that might sound scary for people, we become very reliant on these, these numbers. So I really recommend, even if it's just starting with like a day to try and take it off and just start experimenting with what it feels like to work out 
without having to have it validated through a heart rate number or a calorie burn or steps. I think it's really important to to be okay without knowing those things so that eventually down the line when you when you're looking at I don't know something a bit more sports specific you're thinking I want to train to do a marathon to raise money for charity for example mm-hmm. there's a time and place to wear a, a, a watch it's good to like pace yourself you need to know you know to know your split times and things like that but um it's important to get to a place where you can be okay without that I think um before bringing it back in so those are like I said this is a it's a big topic in terms of like how our trust has been eroded but I think um we think big picture and then I think on that individual level those tools like like fit, fitness watches um have played a big part in us yeah trust. well I, I really appreciate that you brought up the the conversation about the fitness trackers right because I I think it parallels in a lot of ways the conversations that I will have with clients about food food tracking apps, right? Or food tracking devices. And it's like, yeah, sure, we don't have to label these tools as inherently evil or inherently bad. But if we look at what they lead to for a lot of people, again, I'm speaking from the food perspective here, but I have seen tools like my fitness pal or food scales or a point tracking system really take people away from being in their own bodies when it comes to making decisions about food, right? It's like, well, if I have to hit X number by the end of the day, well, I can only eat these foods. Even if I'm really hungry for these foods over here, if I'm hungry by the end of the night, but I don't have any points or any numbers left, then I have to ignore my hunger cues. And I think it's very similar to what you're talking about, about the fitness tracker, right? Like if my watch says, go one more, or you haven't gotten enough steps, but I'm exhausted that I'm going to be going against the wisdom of my body. And I think, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this too, because oftentimes this is how I'll kind of tiptoe into this conversation with clients, because I think some people, especially if they're coming from a really rigid relationship with food or movement, they will say things about trackers like, oh, I'm just curious, right? Oh, it's, it's okay. This isn't harmful for me. I just like to know the numbers. I just like to know X, Y, and Z. And I say, okay, you know, that's valid. Thank you for sharing. How might you feel about just, like you said, taking a break from it for a couple of days or for a week, right? And I, I often will urge people to consider if me or someone like you saying, well, can you take a break for a week or a couple of days if that brings up intense feelings of like, no, I can't do that. Or I can't go for a walk without looking at the time on my watch, right? That kind of lets us know we might be in a stickier spot with some of these tools than we maybe thought that we were. And I think that response oftentimes highlights the need for a break from these trackers, even if we don't think we need it. Like, do you feel similarly about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, if you struggle to take a break and it, you notice that you keep going to check it and you notice that um, it might feel weird to, to move without it. Um, that's why sometimes I just say like, just take it off for a workout, take it off for a day and then journal about it. How did that feel for you? What was the difference? Can, you know, journal a day when you do use it, journal a day when you don't use it. And like, what are those differences? Because it's interesting. I get a lot of messages from people who say, you know, 
I've taken on board what you're saying. And I, I did give my fitness tracker a break. And I think I actually just did one of my best runs ever because I was so, I wasn't being bogged down on this time and this number. And I actually just had a really good time like being in my body and I felt more connected to my body than ever. And I was actually able to run faster. Um, or a lot of people were saying they feel such freedom from let, letting the pressure to reach these certain metrics go like the pressure to hit a certain time on your miles, you know, your mile split, or whether it's um, the pressure to have burned X amount of calories in a day. Um, I haven't worn a fitness tracker personally for probably about three or four years. And I used to wear one a lot. And I have to say, I don't ever think I need to know the numbers. Like I say this about the, the scales. Um, not knowing those numbers um, really doesn't like once you get over the initial hump of it being like you know a bit awkward but once you just don't know them like ignorance is bliss <laughs> it, it really is like it's so nice to just to just be and to just do stuff which feels very counterintuitive to the world that we live in that's constantly trying to sell us tech to and trying to um, get us to validate whatever we're doing with a numerical value, whether that be the way we use social media or whether that be the way we get up and walk every day. Like there, have you noticed there's been a number on everything? And I should say about the 10,000 steps thing, and I don't know if you're aware of this, I'm sure you are, mm -hmm. but um, that, that whole 10,000 number is arbitrary in the sense that it was created by a Japanese company back in the 60s who were looking to market their first pedometer uh -huh. and were like, what could be a good round number that everyone can try and achieve? Oh, I don't know, 10,000 steps. Um, and then since then, we took this number as like gospel truth that we must reach that every day. And um, like it's, there's no, like we've, there's studies to show that generally um, that and doing even like three or 4,000 less than 10,000 steps. Like there's not really much difference in terms of the benefits and on your health. So this whole like idea that we need numbers. And I, I even saw something recently where I saw a, personal, a person post on social media. My personal trainer has told me I have to, to walk 15,000 steps every day. And I was like, hmm, that's really interesting because why has your trainer said that? Because how could that possibly reflect your life every day? is in you know obviously at the moment i think in some ways it is less different but at the moment how can a fitness tracker possibly know um your needs some days we're emotionally drained and we need to slow down and we need to recenter ourselves and we need to physically rest because that's actually the healthiest thing to do for our physical and emotional health and yet we're trying to we're tied to this the same activity goal every single day. It's the same as having a calorie goal every single day. Mm -hmm. Some days you're going to need more. Some days you're going to need less. And that is okay. And so those numbers that we, those arbitrary numbers that we reach for just don't account for everyday life. They don't account for, um, for being a human being who has different needs. And I think it's important to get that perspective that a lot of these numbers are, so, are, are fairly plucked out of thin air and um you don't have to hit these numbers every day you can hit whatever numbers you like that's totally okay yeah and two not only that it doesn't consider our varying needs day to day but also talk about 
our schedules and the time constraints that we have, right? Like when you threw out that number of 15,000, in my mind, I was like, that's a decent chunk of the day (laughs) right there, right? Um, Especially if we're always having to go for walks and carve out time to do these things. And again, I think that those recommendations that are very arbitrary, I'm so happy that you brought up the 10,000 step thing. I think it was a couple of years ago and I went down like a research rabbit hole and I discovered that number was arbitrary. And I was like, I have been lied to for the entirety of my, not only my personal life, but also my professional life as well. So I think that can feel very freeing for people to know like, yes, movement is powerful and it can be a very health promoting thing to engage in, in ways that feel good and accessible for you. But we don't have to adhere to these rigid arbitrary, sometimes extreme standards in order to do these things that are going to be helpful for us both physically and mentally. And two, one final thing that I always say to my clients about fitness trackers, and we're talking about taking a break, just setting it aside for a while. I say the movement practices that you engage in, you're going to be engaging in them and they're going to have those positive benefits for you physically and mentally regardless of whether or not your tracker is on, right? Not having the watch on doesn't negate the fact that you did some stretching today or you decided to go for a walk, right? I think we need to kind of get away from this idea that the the watch or the tracker makes it quote unquote worth it when the movement is the same, regardless of whether or not the fitness tracker is there. So I feel like we could do like hours and hours of conversation just talking about fitness trackers. But before we kind of get to the close of our episode where you plug your things and where people can find you, um, I do like to kind of wrap with some tactical tips and advice. Not that everything that we have offered so far hasn't been helpful and tactical, but um, for anyone listening, if they're like really vibing with what you have to say, they're like, wow, she has so many great points what would maybe be one or two like main take home lessons, items that you would want to offer to someone who's looking to just start the process of improving their relationship with movement and their bodies? Like what's a good starting place? So this is actually the opening line of my book and I'm going to paraphrase myself and say, (laughs) um, I always ask people a question. Um, how would you move your body if it didn't have any impact on weight or aesthetics? And for a lot of people I say, would you still work out if it didn't have any impact on your weight and aesthetics? And if so, why? Um, Because I think it's really important to, the big difference between your workout in the diet mindset and your workout in an intuitive approach, a a large percentage of that is the intention behind it. I, I, I think it's important to add with that the misconception, and I think there's an absolutely, I'm all for a more gentle approach to movement and particularly for those who are in recovery and are looking to that, that gentle reintroduction to moving their bodies. I think um, practices like yoga, Pilates are amazing and I'm all here for it. I think all movement counts. But I also think it's important to say that in, in theory, all types of moving your body, whether it's CrossFit to um, ballet, are, can be intuitive with the with the mindset and the approach with which you with which you come at it. And that is the mantra I always kind of try and drive this home that your workout is self care. It is not self punishment. 
And when you're doing something from self-care, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How, how would you, um, how can you care for your body through, through movement? Um, and so it's about choosing your type of movement from a place of kindness um, and respect for yourself. Um, and I, I want to take a quote from a woman called Kimberly Wilson. She is a psychologist and I had her on my podcast and she said one of my favorite quotes ever, um, which is think of exercise as something you give to yourself, not something you do to yourself. And I love that so much because it's so simple. So how can you give to your body today? Um, because when you're giving to your body as well, you're giving your body what it needs, what it craves and start tuning into what you crave. Maybe you do crave slowing down. Maybe you do have a ton of energy. Like for example, my, uh, anxiety was quite high the last 24 hours. I don't really know why, but, um, one of the best ways to process, there's many ways to process stress and that can be through a creative arts project, through therapy, through journaling, all sorts. But one of a, a great way to process stress and that feeling of stress in the body is to move in some way. And that's different for everyone. But how can your movement be part of that practice? How can it be part of, of caring for your, uh, your psychological and your physical well-being? And so I think that's what I really want to drive home is like, how would you move your body if it didn't have any impact? And start with that and play. Think of this as an opportunity for adult playtime. Kids are moving their bodies all the time. They're running around, they're playing with their friends, they're playing tag, they're just having a great time. They're like climbing up trees and they're doing all this fun stuff. We lost that along the way somewhere, somewhere that got lost. And so let's get adult playtime back. I want people, it's not always gonna be, you know, roses and fun. Like sometimes <laughs> stuff is challenging and hard. I climbed, I did a big, um, like I climbed, I want to, I, I don't know if you can technically call it a mountain, but it's a very big like peak in the UK. Uh -huh. And my friend coerced me into it by saying it wasn't really a big deal. <laughs> Halfway up, I'm thinking, excuse me, this is- Curse crazy. you, friend, curse yeah, you. Like, I was like, um, it, yeah, it's no big deal. Okay, one of them. And I like just told my sister, my sister's like, oh, wow, that's one of the hardest- hikes in the area um but I got to the top and I was so proud I was like what an incredible view and that was physically really challenging and yes I was cursing my friend at the point <laughs> but I'm so proud of myself for getting here so I think that's an example of saying like you're not in the moment it might not always feel fantastic but the end you should feel good you know like the outcome should feel worth it it should feel good for you um so it's important to just to add that nuance in there as well so yeah, so start just playing and having fun. I often, I tell people to like write a list of all the different ways you want to try, like the different classes you want to do, um, all the different things you'd like to try and just, you know, start working your way through that. And things like YouTube, YouTube is an amazing resource to access all different types of classes that you might not get um, otherwise. So there's so many different things out there to, um, to find the movement that works for you. And something that I, I super appreciate, kind of like a common theme throughout your entire answer there, was this theme of self-care, right? And, and I think this was a quote from, from someone else that you were mentioning, but I love so much that idea of movement as something that we give to ourselves. It's an act of self-care. It's something that can 
add to our well-being rather than something that we do to ourselves, something that we hate, something that we punish ourselves through. So if that doesn't present a different view of movement than diet culture does, I don't, I don't know what will. So I'm hoping all of our listeners are um, mouth on the ground, just like in awe of everything that you've said, because I've, I've loved this conversation so much and, and hearing all that you have to say. But for anyone who, again, is listening, they're like, oh my gosh, I need more of this. <laughs> this woman is awesome. Would you mind just plugging or just telling people not only where they can find you, but where they can find your book and your podcast and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also doing a new series, correct? Um, I don't know if it's like an online class, so plug anything that you want to there so people can keep learning from you and support you in that way. So I think the best place to start if you're wanting to know specifically more about this approach is my book, Train Happy, um, which is available in the US and the UK, obviously at Amazon, but like all good bookstores as they say. And you can find my podcast is also called the Train Happy Podcast. And on there, we really explore these different avenues of movement and the psychology behind it, as well as um, how we think of it in relation to food and stuff. We're trying to cover the whole the whole thing on there. Um, and as you can imagine, I've clearly got a lot to say. I could chat for days. Uh, <laughs> so there's lots more. There's hours of chatting on there. Um, and then in terms of uh, finding more about stuff online, you can find me on Instagram at Tally Rye, um, TikTok at Tally Rye. I like to make, I know that you're on there too. I'll have to find you there. I'll have to find you on TikTok. I didn't know you were there. <laughs> yes, I, 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 you know what? I was having a conversation recently with um, another dietitian who I actually found through TikTok because I think there's such, um, I am seeing I'm seeing a lot of the same cycles being played out with Gen Z that I went through as a 20 something year old. Yeah. I feel like a big sister on there who's just like, Hey, there's another approach to doing this and it doesn't have to be this way. And you know, you can, and I'm sure you feel the same, like just there's another, there's another option out there for you. So I really hope that my presence on there can somewhat help people just to maybe discover just a different approach. Um, And then in terms of, um, I'm doing uh, an online workshop and I think by the time this comes out, I won't be available anymore, but watch this space. I am planning things um, in the works. So do watch this space. You can find out more information um, through social media or at my website, tallyride.co.uk. Okay. So moral of the story, find you on social, find your book, find your podcast. And if People find <laughs> totally. People find all of those resources and kind of follow follow the trail. Then they'll find any future resources or future things that you're doing. So, Tally, again, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, your wisdom. Again, as I, as I shared with you before we hit record, I've really been trying to not only connect with dietitians but just other people in the space because while food is important. I think we have to start talking about more than just the food piece. So um, listeners, thank you so much for being here, for tuning in to our show today. Tally, I always do a sign off. Um, I say yours truly, and then I'll say my name, you say yours, and it'll be a wrap from there. So thanks again for being here, everyone. Yours truly, Claire and Tally. Yay. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much again for being here on episode 118 of the Yours Truly podcast with myself and special guest Tally Rye. If you liked anything that Tally and I shared today or you like 
anything in general that we talk about and share here on the Yours Truly podcast. It would mean the world to me and the rest of our podcast fan community if you could take a couple of moments, however much time you have, and tap those five stars. Leave a review if you feel so inclined. Let us know what you like, what you're learning, what you even love about the show. That is the best way to help the show organically grow and reach the ears of individuals who could benefit from hearing it. So I can't wait to bring you another episode next Wednesday, but until then, take care of yourself and we'll talk soon.